Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. It was only a few weeks ago that Father Jean-Denis St. Felix, the superior of the Jesuit community in Haiti, was our guest on this podcast. He shared with us his reflections on the assassination of the Haitian president. Tragically, a lot has happened in Haiti in just these few weeks. On August 14th, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake devastated southwestern Haiti. An earthquake even stronger than the one so many of us remember from 2010. Father Jean-Denis encouraged us to hope and trust in the Haitian people. And so today's guest, Nate Radomski, the executive director of Magis Americas, is here to tell us what he's heard from Jesuit partners across Haiti and how the work of Magis Americas and its many partners is all about accompanying the Haitian people in their work to rebuild. That's at the heart of Magis America's mission, to foster, support, and accompany Jesuit partners in the Global South as they strive toward a more just, dignified, and equitable society. If you want to learn more about and support the work of Magis Americas in Haiti or around the world, visit magisamericas.org. Here's my conversation with Nate. All right, Nate, thank you for joining us on AMDG today. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about the situation in Haiti, uh, the response by the Jesuits there, as well as our work in Madras Americas. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you on, and, and let's get right to it. Um, can you give us a sense of, of what, what it's like on the ground uh, in Haiti right now? I know the earthquake was um, you know, a few days ago now, but I, obviously these things take a lot of time to, uh, to, to, to rebuild and begin to get a full sense of the scope. So what have you seen? What have you heard? Yeah, I mean, as with any disaster, the situation on the ground is evolving. Um, the area impacted by the earthquake, southwest Haiti, is a rural peninsula that was already isolated from the rest of the country due to poor infrastructure as well as security problems, um, the earthquake has only exacerbated this reality. Thousands of homes, um, buildings, roads, and bridges have been damaged or destroyed. Um, that includes at least 24 healthcare centers and over 280 schools. Um, and many churches and temples have been lost as well. Um, the loss of hospitals, uh, schools, and religious centers is, is notable for a few reasons. First, there aren't many hospitals or clinics in the area. Some of the destroyed hospitals uh, were the closest healthcare center within an hour's drive. And so that's really putting a, a strain on relief efforts at the time. Uh, second, the loss of Churches and temples has been, is going to be critical to relief and recovery efforts over the long term, as these institutions, especially in that part of the country, uh, have traditionally offered social safety nets that are lacking from, from the government. Uh, and finally, in terms of education, um, in Haiti, one in two children uh, attending school are, are at risk of dropping out before they complete their education. So this is a huge blow to education in the region. Uh, as estimated, currently 100,000 students are going to have their school year impacted, uh, and classes uh, which normally return in late September, early October, are unlikely to do so in the region. You, you, you specified, you know, um, uh, temples and churches, and um, and obviously you talked about education. I, you know, I you're pointing to the civil society in, in Haiti, and I wonder um, if you can share a little more about the role the civil society in in Haiti plays, particularly in you know a country where where uh, we know the government uh, is a little unstable, particularly in this moment. 
Yeah, it, play, it plays a huge role. Um, it plays a huge role in many aspects of, of Haitians' lives. Um, and there have been a number, there have been stories of a number of, of leaders in, in those communities who have been lost in the earthquake. Um, and, and, and education, where, where I'm most familiar, um, upwards of 80% of education in Haiti is, is conducted uh, through private organizations. And so anytime you have a situation where um, there's not a strong government partner providing these services and we're relying solely on, on civil society um, and a disaster hits, then we're cast into question about what really is going to be the future um, of those services in the area. I think we often hear Haiti. We think of the you know, we think of earthquakes. We think of the earthquake from 2010. Uh, I wonder if you could talk us through how does this earthquake, you know, some 11 years later, compare to that one? That's a great question. Um, I think aside from the realities of the past two years um, of COVID-19 and the recent assassination, which have placed even more stress on the country, uh, there are three main differences between the earthquake uh, now and in 2010. First, this earthquake was stronger and shallower uh, than the 2010 earthquake. Um, but secondly, it took place in a relatively rural part of the country. Uh, so this means that the impacts, which have been quite severe, have not been on the scale of the 2010 earthquake as of yet. Um, third, though, um, as it is a rural area, uh, a getting aid to the area and distributing it, uh, uh, given the lack of in infrastructure, um, many of, much of which was destroyed in the earthquake, has complicated matters. Um, I, I think finally one positive note, though, is that I think everyone has, uh, many organizations, the, the government itself, there have been many lessons learned from 2010. And so that's led to greater coordination um, among agencies and organizations participating in the relief efforts. Can you talk a little bit about that, that, that coordination? Because um, I know it's, it's so important, you know, you obviously don't want to have, you know, everyone wants to respond in a moment of, of disaster. Everyone wants to be able to, to help and, and help build, build people back up. Um, but obviously, if everyone goes in doing something different uh, or no one's talking to each other, that, that might exacerbate the problem. So can you talk a little bit more about what this kind of coordination looks like and, and, and why it matters? Yeah, of course. So, uh, you know, I'll speak um, from what I know best, which is what the, the coordination that the, the Jesuits are doing in, in Haiti. Um, so uh, this time around, the Jesuits, the uh, Haitian Jesuits are speaking as one voice. Uh, they've formed a committee of nine Jesuits uh, that are working to respond in a number of areas from uh, working with individuals on the ground to have a clear picture of what's going on to developing, assessing plans for implementation uh, of what their response will be, as well as reporting what that response will be. Um, and they're doing this uh, with the entire Society of Jesus globally. So they're speaking as one voice uh, to the rest of the world. This is important because it allows for greater impact and transparency of how funds are being used, as well as um, the, the direct role that they're having in working with communities that have been impacted by the earthquake. Can you talk a little bit more about what you've heard um, from the Jesuits that you're talking to on the ground and, and Jesuit collaborators? What are they seeing? What, what kind of stories are they telling you? Um, it, it's, <laughs> so this is an area that the Jesuits know well. Um, there's a there's a Fouajois school there. There's a Jesuit parish. Um, the bishop is Jesuit. Uh, many Haitian Jesuits were born and raised in the region. So all that's to say they're very familiar with the terrain, the communities, uh, and the specific challenges uh, facing uh, this 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 part of the country. Um, it, it's 
there, what we've heard is that it, it's it's been, um, for lack of a better phrase, it's it's been difficult. These are these are people that have, in many instances, waited years for for infrastructure. There's one community that just got its first hospital ten years ago that was completely destroyed. Uh, there, there. These are many, many of these people survived the earthquake 11 years ago, and so there's still that trauma of of uh, reliving uh, that and the impacts of that. Um, many families um, do not want to go indoors because they're afraid that there will there will be aftershocks. There's been a number of aftershocks following the initial earthquake, and so there's just many individuals on the streets. Um, and so, uh, and as I mentioned earlier. The churches, temples, um, schools, which were the pillars of of communities and um, and places of strength, are gone. And so many families are just looking for um, looking for guidance and looking for where they can go, best go to receive services that they desperately need in this time, as well as 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 hope for you know next step and and, and recovery. Um, I know you, you you mentioned that the Jesuits are are coordinating efforts and they're and they're very familiar with this this part of the country. Um, mm -hmm. I talked with uh, Father Dan Carew, who's in Lebanon, a number of months ago when that explosion occurred uh, and, and caused all sorts of untold havoc. Um, and he said one of the roles the Jesuits played there was was really being a pastoral presence on the streets to people, able to um, to talk with with folks. Do you have a sense of if there's um, uh, if they're, if the Jesuits are providing that pastoral presence, or, or even you, you alluded to trauma, how, uh, what resources are available to people to, um, to have that, uh, you know, opportunity to process what they've what they've experienced? Yeah, so the Jesuits are are going to be working in, in two phases in Haiti. First, in the emergency relief phase, and then a recovery phase. In the emergency relief phase, uh, they'll be focused on getting. Uh, attending to the immediate needs of, of individuals who've been impacted. Um, and that's going to take uh, place in a number of different ways, from making sure that there's food and water and clothing, um, to also uh, providing that pastoral assistance if, 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 they're, if they're able. Um, and the second phase, which is where they want to place more of their, their effort, is on the recovery phase of rebuilding. Um, as we saw in the 2010 uh, earthquake. There was a number of organizations that, for, for lack of a better phrase, helicoptered in, provided a lot of relief, uh, and then were gone some months later. And so the Jesuits see uh, their role uh, and their strength as really um, placing emphasis on that recovery phase, so that if those individuals, you know, may need, you know, pastoral pastoral care or you know, you know, um, assistance dealing with their trauma, that it's not intended to just today, but there, there will be a presence in the upcoming days, weeks, and months ahead. I think that continuity is so important in any sort of rebuilding. You know, making sure the same same people are there, same people that are, are already invested in the community. Can you talk a little bit about? I mean, speaking about being being there and invested in the community, can you talk a little bit about Magis Americas uh, and and your work, uh, what it what it looks like in Haiti, uh, and now how it has maybe shifted a little bit uh, as as a result of the of the earthquake. Yeah, so in Haiti, we work with two Jesuit organizations, Forjois, which is the, the Faye Alegria Network, and then Jesuit Migrant Service. Um, we work with these two organizations primarily in education uh, and in migration. Um, we're still assessing how the earthquake will impact our work with these two partners. Uh, but given that Forjois has an, a school in the impacted region, and there very well be a number of increased uh, internally displaced people, I think it's safe to say that 
that work is only going to to increase uh, over the coming weeks and months. Um, I think it's you know one area while you know Fochwell focuses on education, SJM focuses on migration. One shared area of work that we've been exploring with both organizations and that has impacts for for the earthquake is is their role in ecology and promoting ecological practices uh, that create opportunities for education, for economy, as well as for for caring for our common home. And so um, while there's um, definitely going to be a lot of focus given to uh, relief over the coming weeks. Uh, and that recovery phase is where we think that we can work with both of these organizations to explore from a local perspective what can be done to, to better prepare for, for the next earthquake or the next hur uh, hurricane. For listeners who may not be as familiar with um, some of the organizations that you mentioned that you're partnering with, can you can you zoom out and give us a sense um, of what these other organizations are, but then how Magis Americas fits into the to the piece? Because I know there's a there's a whole network, um, it, it, you know, around the world that is really uh, you know focused on this on this work, and and, and you're playing a, a key role. So give us a sense of of the size and scope. Yeah, so I'll start with our local partners, and then I'll, and I'll go to Madison America. So Fochwa is it's a national network of schools, uh, Jesuit schools that belong to the public education system. Um, and it is a in Haiti. It's operating in Haiti since two thousand six, but uh, Haiti is one of twenty two uh, countries where Fe Alegria operates. And, and the the mission of Fe Alegria, as they often say, is to start where the road stops, to provide access to quality, inclusive public education uh, to mar marginalized and vulnerable communities. Uh, the other partner network, Jesuit uh, Migrant Service, is a part of the Jesuit Migration Network in Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, and they work to accompany uh, migrants um, within Haiti, as well as the, the border with the Dominican Republic uh, and a number of different services. Uh, at Magis Americas, we're a, a 501c development NGO based in Washington, DC. Uh, committed to global development. And what that means in practice is that we work with local Jesuit organizations in the global south, particularly in Latin America and the Caribbean, to ensure access to quality and inclusive education, to protect the rights of migrants along their journey, and to promote practices that encourage the well-being of our, of our Carmen home. In Brazil, for example, we're working with Jesuit Migrant and Refugee Service to provide prepaid food and hygiene cards to Venezuelan migrants, refugees, so that they have dignity in rebuilding their lives and in a new country that is, is not their own. Um, in countries like Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, we're working with Fe Alegria to implement a vocational training program that will allow students to receive the equivalent of a high school diploma, an associate's degree, internships, and career mentoring over a span of six years, so that youth from sectors that are traditionally deemed marginalized and vulnerable have access to these new, what they call new white collar jobs uh, in the industry of, of tech. Um, and in Venezuela, for example, we're working again with Fe Alegria to implement a school nutrition program so that uh, access to food is not a barrier to access to education. Um, in times of crisis, you know, like we're experiencing now in Haiti, we coordinate with a network of other Jesuit development NGOs and mission offices across the world most notably Canadian Jesuits International, our sister organization here in North America, to respond as one voice from the Society of Jesus so that uh, we're not 20 or 30 different Jesuit development NGOs going into a country asking for the situation, asking for a project, asking for reports, but we're acting as one on one voice so that uh, we can 
better coordinate and act, uh, to act together. Um, the most, uh, prior to the earthquake in Haiti, the most recent emergency situation that we responded to as an organization was the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in, in India. Right, I, I remember the, the good work you guys were doing there. Um, you know, you've you've you've, uh, you've 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 talked about education, right? And and that's your uh, your your area of focus. How you know? I think sometimes when disaster strikes, uh, you know, education might not be the first thing we think of, right? We think of we got to get the food and water and 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 shelter in place, and, and that's that's obviously true. Um, but how do you? keep the, the focus on education and the need to promote, um, you know, folks going to, to school um, and, and continuing their, their learning. How do you keep that in your mind and in the minds of the folks that you're talking to during moments like this? Well, I think it's important to note that education nurtures development um, and promotes growth emotionally, socially, as well as, you know, uh, in our mental capacity. And post-disaster, it's it provides an essential role in helping children and, more importantly, their families cope. Um, you know, if you're – imagine if you're a parent – I mean, I mean, many, many parents can relate to this in the COVID-19 pandemic. If you're trying to work, trying to go grocery shopping, and you've also got to make sure you're taking care of your kid at the same time and provide their needs, it can, it can add stress and tension to the situation. Now, imagine that – in a situation where you've lost your home, you've lost everything, and you're still trying to you know, provide for your family while also caring for your two-year-old. Um, having school provides a safe space for those children and it allows their families to cope. And many times it provides other essential services like food uh, and disaster kits that will allow the family to not only survive, but, but um, overcome the situation, provide resilience that they might not other have access to. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, I think you, you mentioned the COVID nineteen pandemic as a as a case study, and I, I think about you know just just how quickly like I feel like I snapped <laughs> with my kids, um, and and obviously you know I I had a, a pretty pretty good setup, so I can't even imagine. I think there's it's an opportunity for us to you know try and try and be in solidarity a little bit with with folks that are um, you know like you said the infrastructure crumbled around them. Um, you know, uh, not so long time listeners of our podcast will know that just a few weeks ago, um, uh, Jean Denis the the superior of the Jesuits in Haiti, uh, was on the podcast uh, sharing his reflections and observations on the assassination of the president. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if, you know, that obviously just compounds the problem, you know, that there's this this instability uh, in all walks of life in, in Haiti. Uh, you know, can you share any reflections? What have you seen or heard or, or perhaps what haven't you been able to do because of this, this um, uncertainty? Yeah. Um, I, well, you know, I think... And honestly, the reality is that the current uh, caretaker administration, to, to call it that, is 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 a little paralyzed and, and underfunded, and and of course unpopular. I mean, I think that's been the case for the last three years um, in Haiti, as as John Denis alluded to. Um, but all three of these factors have 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 led to the absence of a, a concerted state relief effort. Um, the interim prime minister has visited the area. They've sent you know, ministers, but there hasn't been, or at least, you know, from, from my perspective, any real effective plans put in place to respond to the situation, uh, which is, which is important to note because first of all, when aid goes in, oftentimes it goes to the city, city centers and the rural areas are the areas that are left struggling. And so having a, a state plan in place, uh, would address those, those gaps that are sometimes, um, created, um, but the, but the reality is it's also created um, 
the opportunity for you know many prominent Haitian politicians who are are, are angling to become the next prime minister at, in the elections in November uh, to fill the gap by delivering delivering medical supplies, food, and even handing out money on a on a private capacity. Um, this unfortunately isn't a new phenomenon. The 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 recently assassinated president did something very similar in 2016 following Hurricane Matthew, um, but it has created a, uh, a vacuum. And while there's been better coordination among NGOs, foreign development agencies, and they are in contact, they are in contact with with the government, uh, as is always the case with, with Haiti, having a strong uh, state partner would make things run much much smoother. I, um, you know, our mutual colleague Meg had asked Jean Denis uh, about kind of the the cycle of, you know, uh, us in the U.S. and Canada and all around the world. Just we want to give, we want to, you know, let's send money, let's send stuff, let's send our people. And, and you alluded to people kind of parachuting in, um, and and I think there was a lot of conversation in the wake of the assassination around. You know what? What? Are, let's let the Haitian the Haitian people need to lead. This is this is this is Haiti, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I saw a lot of articles about that. And again, we talked to, to Jean Denis about that. Um, and and now this disaster strikes. Um, and I wonder if if there's concern that the conversation will reset itself and and that um, we'll kind of forget that that lesson of oh we got to let the Haitian people lead. And yet it, there's still there's there's need like they, we have to. You know, be there and 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 support as we're able to. So, how are you balancing these things in your mind as as a, a an INGO professional and, and someone who's you know thinking you know deeply about these issues and in conversation with people um, all around the world? Um, what's your approach? How do you how do you keep it all all balanced? So, I, I think one of the the great um, benefits of working with and for the Jesuits is that whenever you're you know working with partners in another country. Inevitably, you're working with partners who are local to that culture, that context, and so the the you know the this this ethos that that uh, Haitian people should be at the center of relief and recovery um, is central to to our approach. Um, you know, we are really taking the lead from Jesuits in Haiti about what the situation is and about how we should go about um, designing and implementing relief and recovery. Um, and so we're really in a position of support where we're not in a position of, of stipulating or mandating you know, what things need to look like, but really taking a position of what do you need and how can we best facilitate that support uh, from the United States. Um, there was a great op-ed piece in American Magazine last week by J.D. Long Garcia um, saying that, you know, we must give Haiti our attention with or without earthquakes and hurricanes. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, dead on. I think when it comes to Haiti, we often jump to assumptions without understanding the context and the history that has placed Haiti in this vulnerable state. Um, and if our only understanding of Haiti is, is pain and misery and suffering, then we're never truly in solidarity with Haitians. We're, we're not viewing them as individuals with the same dignity and rights as us, but as a charity case that we need to support every 10 years or so. And so, you know, for us, the way that we even talk about Haiti uh, in our communications at Magis Americas, even when there's not a, a, a disaster, is is at the front, front and present of our minds. You know, one of the conversations we had um, a few years ago with one of our board members who, who lives and works in Haiti was, what are the types of news stories we're putting out about Haiti? Because if you do a quick Google search, 95% of what you'll read is is nothing positive. It's only the negative stories. It's only the corruption. It's only the violence. It's only the disasters. And so what can we do from the United States 
to change that dynamic. And so it's in short answer, it, it's at the forefront and we're, we're continually challenging ourselves to be better in how we discuss Haiti and how we work with Haiti and how we can learn from Haiti as well. I think that's that's the, the, the last key part is that we don't have all the answers and, and in many cases we don't have the answers. And so what can we do to really learn from the Haitian people about how to best move forward from this, this disaster? That makes a lot of sense. And I like um, the idea of kind of that intentional storytelling and what, what are we, you know, what light are we shining and where and why and how, are, how is it, you know, how are we empowering everybody? Um, let's zoom out and maybe you can give us a, a wider lens on Magis Americas around the world. I know you had um, alluded to some of the other programming that, that you guys are up to, um, but uh, what, what else is going on or maybe what new things are, are in the works that, that people should, uh, should know about? So I think the, 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 the biggest news just on our front is that as of this year, uh, within the Jesuit Conference here in the United States, we're, we're the official office for supporting Jesuit works abroad. And so what that means is we've kind of moved on, or not moved on, but as you zoomed out a little bit, our, our primary focus is still Latin America and the Caribbean. But now we're also uh, coordinating with other Jesuit development NGOs to support efforts uh, in other parts of the world. So as I mentioned before, uh, we participated with with CGI and other Jesuit NGOs to respond to the COVID-19 crisis in, in India. Uh, we're also working uh, currently with a school in Malawi. Um, and we're also um, starting to work and support the work of, of the Jesuits in Cuba, which is something new and exciting for us. Um, you know, for, for, for the team and for, for myself, it's uh, just exciting to, to get to see what cool things Jesuit organizations are doing around the world and how we can best facilitate support uh, and help from the United States. Uh, and so uh, we're kind of in this position of growth and, and taking on a new roles, and new uh, uh, ways to, to go about creating um, solidarity from, from the United States. That's awesome. Well, if people want to learn more about your work or support your work, what would you tell them? So I would say, you know, first, if, uh, for this specific instance for Haiti, if you're in a position to donate, uh, I would like I'd invite you to visit uh, give.magisamericas.org backslash support Haiti and make a contribution to our relief fund. As I, as I mentioned, it's a relief and recovery fund. And so there's going to be um, weeks and months ahead uh, that we'll need to support the work being done by Jesuits and Jesuit organizations. Uh, to learn more about our website and our work in general, you can visit us at magisamericas.org. Uh, and finally, as I mentioned, I would invite uh, individuals to continue being curious and, and learning more about um, the countries uh, which we're working with. I think oftentimes we have these preconceptions about Haiti, Venezuela, Nicaragua, um, India that um, are not fully informed. And, and so I would invite and encourage everyone to continue um, learning and challenging their, their perceptions. One last question, Nate, on that point. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you read a lot about different, all the different work going on around the world. If you wanted to recommend people one book that would help them to become better informed uh, about the world, about breaking down these preconceived notions, uh, what would it be? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, okay, so, so it's not a development book, but it's definitely a book that I think informed my thinking on checking my, my own um, perceptions before, before interacting. Um, so it's um, called Gracias, a Latin American journal. Um, and it really 
for me, I read it while I lived in Latin America. And for me, it was just a great reminder of to treat each person with dignity and grace um, that, that I expect to receive myself. So, so yeah, that would be my gracias uh, Latin American journal. Who was the author? Henry Nouwen. Is that, I thought it was Henry Nouwen. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That's an excellent recommendation. I also read that when I was in Latin America and yeah. it's, um, uh, yeah, no, it's a uh, good, it was worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, thank you so much for joining us uh, on AMDG. No, thank you, Eric. Thank you. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @JesuitNews, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook, facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>